0: Hey, we are on our series called Fixer Upper. So if you want to get your Bibles out and your sermon notes there and your worship guide, you should have had some sermon notes given to you. Pull those out. You're going to need those. And let's open up your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 2. That's <laughs> just people happy about the Bible. They're not crazy. They just act like it. But just happy. We just believe church should be one of the happiest places you should ever be. Fixer Upper. We've been talking about this. This is again, off the... Television show Fixer Upper, whether you like doing these type of projects or not, how many of us know we are all on Fixer Upper projects in our life every single day, trying to improve and, and walk into everything that God has for us. A little bit of the backstory on this message on what's happening in Nehemiah chapter 2 where we're picking up. We've been talking about this for three weeks and, and Nehemiah was in a foreign country and he was held captive, is under a foreign leadership and he heard that Jerusalem the walls had been torn down, the gates were burned with fire, and so his heart you know, was touched for his people. And so he asked the king, he was working for the king, he was the wine taster, and he asked the king if he could go back to his homeland and help build up the walls. And so the king let him go and to go back and check it out and, and do this project. And so that's where we find ourselves. I'm going to start reading in verse 11 and Nehemiah chapter two. So we're, we're at that stage where Nehemiah has gone back to Jerusalem to check things out, to see how bad things are, see what's going on. And I'm gonna walk through this with you and I encourage you as you're listening today, I know many of us, we're not literally building walls. So you're like, well, what does that have to do with me? But anytime we go through a fixer upper project, that there is a process involved that God wants to rebuild an area of our life. So I'm thinking as as I read through this on how God directed Nehemiah on how to rebuild a wall, it applies to us on how we need to rebuild areas of our lives, whether it's a mindset, attitudes we need to rebuild, relationships we need to rebuild, finances, or maybe it's emotional status, whatever it may be, God's going to give us a a system, I think, through this that maybe will help you in rebuilding some relationships or areas of your life. So let's look in verse uh, 11 of Nehemiah chapter 2. He says, so I came to Jerusalem... And was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what God had put on my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one which I rode. A couple of things I want to point out in verse twelve as we get into this. Notice what he says in verse 12 that I told no one what God had put on my heart. The plan to rebuild the wall, I want you to know first and foremost, we see this with Nehemiah, that the God is the one who put the plan on Nehemiah's heart. God's the one who initiated So who started this whole rebuilding process? Who's the one who initiated this? It was God doing it. So if you write there in your notes, you'll see God, it is God's agenda. If he's the author of it, then we are accountable to him. If he's the author of this project, if he's the author of something, then he's the one we're accountable to. So when you're thinking about this in your life, if God has put something on your heart, if God's the one who's laid a person on your heart, if God's the one who's laid a cause on your heart, laid a project on your heart, laid laid something on your heart that you need to do, if he's the one who started it, then he's the only one who can finish it. In other words, if God put it on my heart, then don't let anybody else take it off of your heart. How many of you have ever had God put something on your heart and then all of a sudden you begin to take it off your heart because you don't like how it's going? Well, God put that on my heart to do it, but somebody else came along and because of what they did, you let them take it off your heart. If God initiated it, then you need to let God be the one who finishes it. We're accountable to him. I don't answer to people for what God put on my heart. I answer to God. If God said, Chad, I want you to do this, but I look around and I think nobody's appreciating what God's put on my heart to do. I can't quit doing it because they don't appreciate me. I get my applause and my affirmation from God and not from people. That's what he's talking about. So, so he says, or God put this on Nehemiah's heart, we got to make sure we keep looking to him. If God put it on our heart, then he's the one who determines when enough is enough. How many of you felt this? Well, I just can't take it anymore. I am done. I am so done. Right? Well, if God put it on your heart, you're not done until he says you're done. I'm out. I quit. I can't take it anymore. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Did God tell you to quit? Well, no, but I'm telling you, these people aren't doing it. It doesn't matter about them. If God put on your heart, you better answer to him. We need to look to Jesus. Hebrews 12:2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author, the beginner, and the finisher of our faith. Who are we supposed to keep our eyes fixed on? Jesus. If God put it on your heart, keep your eyes on him. Because sometimes people are going to jack you up because you, you think that they should be doing this and they're not. And if your motivation is towards people, then you're going to give up when you should keep pressing on. If God put it on your heart, then you've got to make sure he's the one. You're not doing it for other people. The goal is to please him. Remember in the rest of Hebrews 12, it says, "Who Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here's something to keep in mind. When God puts something on your heart, be ready. There may be a cross you have to endure before you see the joy of what he put on your heart. I know we don't want to hear that part, but I'm just saying. Jesus said, you know, God put something on Jesus' heart to go to the cross and die for my sins. How many is grateful that Jesus saw the joy of my salvation in the future and he endured the cross for me? There may be some crosses you have to endure when you're doing what God's put on your heart. If we think whatever God's put on our heart to do is always going to be roses and a great time and no problems, we're deceived. Sometimes what God puts on our hearts to do is going to be tough, but do it for the joy that is before you, not the one that's in, not in front of you right now. Mm. All right, so then he put it on his heart. He put it on his heart. The, God had put it on my heart. Notice, I thought about this. Where did he put it? He put it on my heart. He put it on my heart. So I kind of thought about that word for a moment. Now, when I say heart, it's important for you to understand this. I'm not talking about your blood pump, the organ. When your Bible talks about the heart, it's not talking about this organ right here, the size of your fist. It's talking about your spirit. It's talking about who you are on the inside, your spirit being. You are a spirit being that has a soul, a mind, will, and emotions that lives inside a body. And your spirit will live forever in one of two places, either in the presence of God or away from the presence of God in hell for eternity. So now my spirit will live forever. So he says that he put it on my heart or put it in my spirit. I'm like, why did he say that? Because the word heart means speaks to being internally motivated to do what God's asked you to do, not externally motivated. He put it on my spirit, so write this down, your notes there. We will live with either a desire to be impressive or a desire to be inspired. I want to live with a desire to be inspired internally instead of trying to be impressive externally. If our desire is to be impressive, then it means we're de- our, uh, our motivation is determined by how much you accept me. But if I desire to be inspired, then I look within, and I see what God's telling me, and my motivation is all from the inside. And that's when he put it on my heart, as he says, Chad, I want you to be inspired to do something, not try and be an impressive in doing something. Food for thought. I'm not saying it's not bad for people to congratulate you and celebrate you and what you do, that's great, but if it's your motivation, look out. When you think they should be doing this, they're going, it's going to be discouraging. So instead of trying to be impressive, let's be inspired. I'm telling you, inspired people will inspire others. If you'll be inspired on the inside of you, if you live for God because of his goodness to you and not live for God because you're trying to get others to live for God, just live for God for what he's doing on the inside of you. And you'll find people that'll come up to you and say, hey, I want what you have. Why? Because you're living inspired. You're not living just trying to make converts. You're living because of his goodness is overflowing out of your life. People want to experience that. So anyway, that's something that you can think think about. And then notice the other thing he said, I put it on your heart. He didn't put it in your head. That God has put on my heart, God didn't put it in his head. Here's why I think that's important. If he puts it on your head, there's some things that God's going to ask you to do that are not going to make sense. So when it says in your Bible that God put it on his heart, there's a reason he put it in his heart and not his head. Because some things are going to be illogical and irrational, but it's still God telling you to do it. So then God God spoke this to me. He said that he deposits it in a place designed for us to believe from instead of a place designed for us to think from. He put it in your heart... Because he deposits in a place. What God wants to tell you to do, he wants to deposit in a place that you believe from and not the place that you think from. Your spirit, your heart is where you believe from. Your brain is where you think from. There's not anything wrong with either one of them. It's good to be thinker. It's not like, uh, think, I'm not like an anti-thinking person. You need to be able to think. But your thinking has limitations, and your thinking has an application. We need to think and use our mind for certain aspects, but there are certain things that God says you can only believe. You'll never be able to think it through. If you depend on your thinking, your logic and your reasoning, you will trip up because you will say, "It's impossible. It can't be done. There's no way I can do that. God will put something on your heart, and then you will say, "I can't. It's impossible." You will say, "There's no way." And he will say, "You're right. If you're looking at your head, but I didn't put it in your head, I put it on your heart because I wanted to put it in the place that you believe from and not the place that you think from. You're like, I can tell you, but you need scripture to prove that. That's okay. Let's go to Romans chapter 10 real quick, and I'll show you this. Romans chapter 10, verse 8 says, but what, what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the mouth, sorry, for with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For with the heart, one, be- let's try it again. For with the heart, one believes. With the heart, one believes. With your spirit, you believe. I don't believe with my head. I think with my head, I rationalize things with my head and that's okay, there's an application for that. But if I want to believe God, I have to engage my spirit. He says, for with the heart one believes, with the mouth one confesses. So there is confession, it's important, we need to speak things, but he said, I've deposited this into Nehemiah's heart because I want him to believe for it, I don't want him to think through it. Because if Nehemiah saw this wall and he saw the, the problem with with building it and trying to do it, he would have said in his mind, there is no way, it's impossible. But he said, I put it in his heart because I want him to believe me. And this is what God's saying to you and, my, you and me. If God's given you something that's bigger than you, it's it's okay, he's big enough. It's God put something on your heart and you say, it's impossible, Chad, it can't be done. That's okay. God still says you can do it because he wants you to believe him. So let's go to the next part. Look what he says. I told no one. I told no one what God had put on my heart. Here's something I think is important. Be careful when and who you tell what God has put on your heart. (laughs) When God puts something on your heart, not everything that God tells you is for Facebook. Not everything that God tells you is for everyone you know. Be careful who and when you tell what God's put on your heart. This is why Nehemiah didn't tell everybody because how many knows that you're not even ready for things that God puts on your heart? How much more are other people not ready for God puts on your heart? If I'm not totally ready for what God's speaking to me, how much more crazy is it gonna sound to someone else when I tell them what God's told me to do? So you gotta be careful who you tell. Now, if you'll tell someone that's gonna encourage you and believe God with you, that's awesome. But sometimes you're gonna tell people and it's gonna hinder you because they're gonna bring more negativity, more doubt, more confusion. They're gonna go, what? Man, there's no way you can do that thank you, friend. I appreciate the encouragement. Appreciate the old shot in the arm. But you got to be careful. Some people you tell and they'll start throwing out all the reasons why that'll never work for you. Oh, you couldn't do that. Or girl, are you crazy? You can't do that. Well, you got a problem with this. You, you can't even take care of yourself. You want to try and take care of other people. It's what happens. You know, it's like people will start telling you all what you can't do. How many knows we don't need any help figuring out what we can't do. We need help figuring out what we can do. I already know what I can't do. I need somebody to tell me what I can do because the Bible says I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So anyway, you didn't tell anybody. That's probably a good idea. You need to filter who you give all your heart ideas to. Look at verse 13. So Nehemiah goes out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down, its gates were burned with fire, starts assessing the situation. Then I went out to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went out up by the night, by the valley, and viewed the wall. Then I get turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. So Nehemiah goes around and he examines the wall. And he begins looking at everything, seeing what he's got himself into. And this is why if we're going to rebuild an area of our, of our life, it's important for us to examine the situation. Look it over. See what we're dealing with. Because the Bible says in Luke chapter 14, I believe it is in verse 28, for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it. Whenever we're looking to rebuild an area, we need to examine it so that if it gets difficult along the process, we're prepared and we know we're in it for the long haul. When you examine how bad a situation is in the beginning, it's going to do one of two things. It's either going to build discouragement in your life or it's going to build the testimony in your life. When you're looking at where you are and, and you know, as Nehemiah is going around the walls and looking at them and seeing, you know, all, how bad are these gates burned? These walls are torn down. How bad is this? He's looking at it. It's okay if you do it as long as you focus on the right thing. When he sent out the, the 12 spies to ser- search out the promised land, that wasn't a bad thing for him to ser- send out the 12 spies. The problem was what part they focused on when the spies came back. See, if we'll focus just on the problem, it's going to build discouragement in us. But if we'll we'll concentrate on the power of God, it will build the testimony. How many ever had this testimony and you're trying to tell someone what's happened and they don't appreciate it like you do? And you're like, no, 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 you don't understand where I was. You don't appreciate where I am because you don't understand where I was. And this is what Nehemiah is getting an assessment of where it was because he's building the testimony on the inside of him. I want to see how bad these walls are. I want to see how bad these gates are. I want to hear there is no way it can be done because I'm going to choose to cause that to build the testimony that when it's done, and I'm telling you it will be done, when it's done, God's going to get all the more glory because I knew how bad it was when I started So he's building the testimony. Sometimes we got to do that. So look at verse 17. So then Nehemiah says this. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in. You see the distress that we're in. That word distress there just means bad situation. It's a rough translation. It just means a bad situation. Anybody's ever been in a bad situation? You're probably in one of three categories this morning. You're either... you either have been in a bad situation, you're currently in a bad situation, or you may be in a bad situation coming up shortly. It doesn't mean lack of faith to realize we're gonna go through bad situations. A bad situation is a general term. It's just realizing what do we do in those bad situations? So he says, you see the distress that we're in. We see that we're in a bad situation. We're in, you see the bad situation we're in. Can I encourage you that if you're in a bad situation, Your current situation doesn't have to be your permanent situation. He says, you see the distress that we are in right now, it's bad. But just because it's bad now doesn't mean it has to stay bad. The place that you are in doesn't have to be the place where you stay. Just because you're in a bad situation, but he says, you see it, you see we're in a bad situation. So I want to talk about the word see there, and I want to give you two examples. There's a good part of seeing, and then there's a bad part of seeing. Notice what it says in your Bible there. You see the distress that you're in. I want to give you the good part of seeing, and then I'll give you the bad part. You see it there in your notes. There's good seeing. It means that you need to recognize where you are. He said you see the distress, you see the bad situation you're in, If you don't see it for what it is, then you'll never do anything about it. How many has ever had somebody, don't look to your right or your left or anyone around you, how many of you know somebody that you're like, how can they not see what they're doing to their life? How can they not see what their decisions are doing? How can they not know? Can they not see it? It's as plain as a nose on their face. You ever had somebody like that? You're like, you're just, you just can't figure out why they can't see it. This is why he's saying here, the, he says, you see the distress you're in. We need to see our situation. We need to recognize it because if we don't recognize it, we'll never do anything about it. People that don't know they're in a bad situation won't try and get out of a bad situation. People that don't know they're making bad choices will never change those choices. They'll just keep going. So we got to see it. We got to see it. But how many know sometimes it's easier to see other people's than than, than our own like you know I got boy they need to do this 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 we are perfectly capable of explaining to them how they need to fix their life but yet we got our own issues that maybe we're 2020 vision with them and maybe 2200 with some of ours some about a speck and a log analogy there so this is what he's telling us. So here's what I want you to write down here. Faith is not the denial of something's existence or ignoring it. You need to see it. You need to see it. Faith is not pretending that something doesn't exist. Faith is not denying it. I don't have a problem with that. Yes, you do have a problem with that. It's not faith to say, I don't have a problem with that addiction, or I don't have a problem with my temper, or I don't have... A, it's, not a, it's not a lack of faith to say, I have that issue Faith is when I realize the truth of God's word is greater than the reality of where I am and where I am now is not where I have to stay. It's a big difference, but I will never release faith for something I will not recognize. I'll never be able to believe God to change something that I won't admit I have a problem in. I'll keep denying it. I'll keep saying, no, I don't have a problem. I'm good. I'm good. I've just got a little problem with some pictures, but it's not pornography. I just got a little problem with my tempers. Just a little bad. You want me to move on? <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? It's just we got to recognize. we got to see it for what it is. And if we don't see it, because here's what's happening here in this story, in the context of our story, these people were living in this area with these walls torn down all around them every single day. And so Nehemiah comes up to him and says, you see, do you really see the distress we're in? Here's the problem. If we're not careful, we can live in an an area so long we can become so familiar with it that we begin to accept it as normal when it's not supposed to be. People aren't seeing something's wrong with the situation because they become so familiar with it that they've just started to accept it as normal. This is normal behavior. This is normal way of life. It's not God's best for you. So don't accept it as normal just because it's familiar. So that's when he says, you see the distress we're in, we need to be able to recognize it. So that's the good part of seeing. But let's look at the bad part of seeing. The problem with the bad part of seeing is when it's all you see. You see the distress you're in. And the problem is you focus and all you can see is the distress. It's good that if I can see I recognize what the distress of my situation, the bad part is, is that all I can see is the distress of my situation. In other words, you'll hear this, maybe you've heard somebody say this, Chad, I just, I just can't see it, I just can't see how this will ever change. I can't see how they will change, I can't see how I will change, I can't, I can't see how this will turn around, I can't see how this could ever be, I just can't see it, I can't see it, I can't see it. Have you ever said that or know somebody who says that? Well, here's the problem, it's because we're so focused on the problem, we don't see the wall being built. And God says, I want you to recognize the distress of your situation, but I want you to begin to see the wall being rebuilt in that area of your life. I want you to see God working in your life. So don't let the focus be on the bad, recognize the bad, and now begin to work with God to make a change and make something different out of it. Let's look at this. Because when we, if we, uh, what we see, I put this here in your notes, what we see should not control or determine what we do or don't do. Need to get that. What we see should not control or determine what we do or don't do. Don't let what you see control what you do. Let what God put on your heart control what you do. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 says, For we do not look at or focus on the things that we see, for the things that we see are temporary. Everybody say temporary. Temporary. Everybody say temporary. (laughs) Temporary. temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So if they're temporary, what does the word temporary mean? It means they're subject to change, right? So we don't focus on the things that we see. We focus on the things that we not see. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. So he says, be careful what you see. So go on. Let's look in verse, the, the latter part of verse 17. So he said, you see the distress we're in, how Jerusalem lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire. But look at the, look at the invitation. Here's what Nehemiah says. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a a reproach. That we may no longer be a reproach. Now the word reproach, not a word we use a lot in our everyday language. Here's what it simply means. It means a disgraceful situation. A place where you find yourself in a disgraceful situation. So he says, come let us build the wall so that we're no longer be in this disgraceful situation. So here's what Nehemiah is inviting them. He says, all right, you recognize where we are, but now I'm inviting you. He's saying, come, let us rebuild. And here's the, the thought process. God is not intimidated by the condition of our situation. I want, you, I want to encourage you that God is not intimidated by how bad a situation can get. He's bigger than that. He's bigger than that. He's not intimidated by it. He's not overwhelmed. He's not sitting there going, whoa, man, you've really blown it this time. He doesn't ever say, man, Chad, you have so screwed this up, I can't even do anything about it. (laughs) He never has that thought. So the moment we think, it's too far gone. I've heard people say this. say, Chad, I can't come to God. I've done too much. I've heard people say, I can't give my life to Jesus because I've done too much. He couldn't possibly forgive me. There is nothing, nothing, nothing that you could ever do where you're too far from the love of God. Nothing is too far for him. So he's not intimidated by how bad our situation is. I, I've had people that could talk to me about this and say, Chad, well, I've got this going on, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. I've done this. I'm like, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. And they're like, So isn't that you don't even sound like that's in a big problem, anything bad. I just I just keep waiting to hear something that the blood of Jesus hasn't paid for, and I haven't heard it yet. We need to know that God's bigger than our problems. He's bigger, he's bigger. So now he says, He says to them, Listen, I want, I want to make sure and invite you. Come, let us build together. Let us build. Let us build. He got into the reproach with him. Nehemiah didn't say, hey, you guys start building this wall. He got in it with you. And I want you to know that God wants to get in your bad situation with you. God doesn't say this. You know what? If you will fix up your life, clean up your mess, and come back to church, then we can talk about a relationship. That's not what God does. God gets in your reproach with you and says, come, let us build together. Come, let's build together. I want to work with you. See, we we get into these messes by our own decisions, but God jumps in it with us and says, I want to build together with you. I want to partner with you. I want to find, we're going to work our way through this. I'm not going to leave you hanging. He says, come, let us build together. All we have to do is partner with God. All we have to do is accept the invitation. He wants to build it with us. He wants to, he wants to do it based on his resources. I'll jot this down. The possibility of rebuilding or not is based on his resources and not ours alone. His resources. You know, one of the, one of the reasons I believe I have found this to be true, that some people won't rebuild an area of their life, is because they see what they have and what they don't have, and then they decide whether they're going to be able to do it or not. And we've all done it. We've all done it, but here's the, here's the problem. When we look at a situation and we determine what I have and don't have, and then we decide whether we can rebuild that area, that relationship, that problem, whatever it may be, then we're limiting God to our resources instead of his. Maybe you've said this, I, I'm, just, I'm just done. I don't have any more. I don't have, I don't have enough love to do that. I don't have enough patience to do that. I don't have enough forgiveness to do that. Sorry, I can't do it. I, I just, I can't, I can't wait on that. I don't, I don't have enough patience. But the problem is, God says, I've given you something called the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the fruits of the Spirit is pay, pay, patience. Go ahead and say it, patience. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, when you run out, you've still got his resources available to you. That when Chad is done, like, Lord, I have no more love for that person. No more. I have no more patience, no more forgiveness. I am done. D U N done. That kind of done. Then God says, That's okay if you're done, but I'm not. And so now, what Chad's limits are, God begins to pick up and he says, Chad, You've got patience inside of you that's of me, of the Holy Spirit, that's not of you. And if you will trust me, I'll show you a love that's greater than your love. You can forgive people through God that you could never forgive on your own. You can love people through God that you could never love on your own. You can have patience (laughs) for people through God that you could never have patience without it. He can do it. He can do it. So we just got to learn to trust him. So it's, he wants to help us through it. Look at verse 18. He says, come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem together. Verse 18, I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's word that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. Notice what's happening here in verse 18. All of a sudden, they have a change of heart. They have a change of heart and they said, Let's rise up and build. Nobody had been building prior to this point. What's motivating them to build all of a sudden? Nobody was building the wall when Nehemiah showed up. They didn't have crews out there working. Nobody was building. All of a sudden they said, Well, let's rise up and build. What happened? Two things happened. Two things happened. Look at verse 18. The first one is the very first sentence. It says, and I told, this is Nehemiah talking. He says, and I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me. Here's the thing we need to understand about this. I told them, this is the testimony of what the king had done for Nehemiah. Here's what you need to write down. Your story encourages someone and someone else's story encourages you. Your story, your testimony of what God has done for you will help someone else. If you're trying to rebuild an area of your life, let me encourage you with this. You need to listen to people and get around people who's been where you are right now. You need to listen for, you need to search out, use the internet, whatever you need to do. Find stories of people that's been successful at trying to do what you're doing right now. You need to listen to stories of encouragement, of testimony. The Bible tells us this in Revelations that we overcome by the word of of our testimony, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. So we realize that our story encourages someone. So you need to release your story. What's God done for you? Tell your story. Tell it to a friend. Tell them how God's brought you through something because your story is encouraging someone and someone else's story will encourage you. Here's the first thing that happened to them. We can't build this wall. All of a sudden, Nehemiah starts telling them of how good the king has been to him in the favor of the king. He starts relating his story. It starts giving them encouragement. So look at uh, the next thing. He says, not only starts telling them the story of what the king's done, but it says, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. Everybody say, "To to me. The king's words that he'd spoken to me. So now this is where the king had spoken things directly to Nehemiah. And so Nehemiah took those words that were spoken to him and it gave him encouragement that he could do what the king had called him to do. Here's what the application for you and I, we need to take the king's words, the words of the king of kings and Lord of lords, and let his words encourage us as we're trying to rebuild. You need the testimony of other people who've done it, and you also need the promise of God's word to encourage you on what he says you can do. This is what's going to help me build the wall when the king's words get in my heart. What he's spoken to me. Notice I said, say to me, here's the reason. God's words spoken to you will not help me until it becomes the words that God's spoken to me. Here's what I mean. You can go home and you say, well, Chad says, what Chad says will not stir faith in you. The only way faith is going to be stirred up is when it becomes God telling you. There's one thing for someone else to say something, but it's something totally different when someone says it directly to you. What what does the Bible say? Taste and see that the Lord is good. You've got to taste for yourself. And this is what he's telling him right here. He says, listen, I want to make sure that you get what the king has spoken to you. But look what happens. So after... They hear the testimony of Nehemiah, and then they hear the king's words that were spoken to him. All of a sudden, they said, they said, they said, so now they begin to change what they're saying. They begin to speak differently. They said, let us rise up and build. I bet that's probably how they said it. Let's rise up. You got to rise up rise up and build. Now what happened? Nobody was building before, nobody was rising up, but now all of a sudden they said out of their mouth, let us rise up and build. What changed their minds? What changed their mind is the story, the testimony of someone else who'd done it, the goodness of God to someone else. Number two, the king's words that got in their heart. And now once it got in their heart, they decided to make a change. And they said, they said, let us rise up. Here's what the word rise up means. The word rise up means to stand be fixed to endure to endure we got to realize that whenever god's calling us to do something we're gonna have to be fixed we're gonna have to be steady in it and look what he said rise up and build the word build is almost like a cuss word here because it's the word build means a process how many loves processes They they said let us rise up let us get firm let's get established and let's start the process we don't want that word Let's rise up and let it be changed by tomorrow. Praise the Lord. I want to rise up and it be different when I wake up from my nap. I want to rise up and it be different by tomorrow. He said, let us rise up and begin the process. You got to start building. Anybody need a change in your life? It's going to be a process. But look what he says, the last part. He says, and they set their hands to do the what? Set their hands to do What? We're still not getting it. Set the hands to do what? We're still not getting it. Set the hands to do what? Work. Anybody want to go to work? See, one with that microwave. But here's what that set your hands means. That set your hands means to grab firm hold of. Firm hold of. And the reason by that set, grabbing a firm hold of is because God knows when you set out to do something for him that he's put on your heart, There's gonna be all kinds of things come your way that's gonna try and get you to loose your grip. But he says, when you go to do it, I want you to set your hands to go to work. Go to work on breaking that addiction. Go to work on breaking your attitude. Go to work on rebuilding that relationship. Go to work on realigning your focus. Whatever it may be, he says, set your hands and let's go to work. Let's let the stories of other people and the king's words encourage me that even though what I see looks impossible, I'm going to grab hold of the promises of God and I'm going to go to work. I'm going to start praying. I'm going to believe God and I'm going to believe with my heart and not with my head. I don't see how this wall is going to be rebuilt, but I believe that this wall is going to be rebuilt. I don't see how this situation is going to change, but I believe how it can change because I'm going to trust God. God's asking you, do you want to see change in your life? Here's the way it happened for Nehemiah. Look what happens. I wanna give this last two verses, read them to you. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and the Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us. What is this thing that you're doing? Will you rebel against the king? You know, if you go try and fix up an area of your life, the enemy is gonna try and discourage you. He's gonna try and mock you. He's gonna laugh at you. People are gonna laugh at you. People are gonna say, what are you, crazy? What are you doing? What are you doing believing God for that? That's nuts, you've lost your mind. That's what the enemy is going to do. He's going to try and get you you discouraged. But look at verse 20. You need to answer him. So I answered them and I said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will rise and build, but you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. I give you a lot of stuff there in the sermon notes. I want you to study that out. I don't have time to go through all of it.